Feeling better? Looking better. Making life better. It's Life Tips. Life We'll explore the latest innovations, introduce you to the latest products, and bring you the tips from experts and environmental pioneers to help you lead a better life. Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, wiser. Here are your hosts. Welcome back to the Life Tips Show, everyone. I'm here with Maria. Maria, welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me here. Right on. Your book is Achieve the College Dream. And you, of course, have a target audience that I'm sure you're aiming this towards. Tell us a little bit about the book um, and what what sort of inspired you to create a book to help people that were uh, in, in need of, of advice. My my book is actually um, uh, very connected to my personal experience um, as a high school student in the U.S. I was actually a recent immigrant when I started high school and had just arrived from Cuba with my parents, and we had no idea how to navigate the path to college. We had very little guidance. Our English skills even were very limited. And I never realized that selective universities, much less prestigious schools like uh, the Ivies, for example, were really an option. I thought that first they were unaffordable, and second, that even if I could afford them, given financial aid, uh, it was pretty much impossible to get in. So once I found my way through the process, I gained admission to five Ivy League schools and was able to accumulate over $200,000 worth of financial aid Against all expectations, um, I realized that, that the majority of the students, especially if they have limited resources, never you know, even submit an application to the schools because they think they are unreachable. And I realized, this, especially through my work at the Harvard Admissions Office, this is what inspired me. So both my, my career in higher education access and my personal journey were really the main inspiration to create a guide uh, to select universities for students from all economic backgrounds, but especially those who have limited resources to provide both the information, right, the practical guidance, but also the inspiration to help them achieve, you know, this, these college dreams. Fantastic. Now, let me ask you a couple of questions about your own background. How old were you when you came to the United States? I was about to turn 14. 14 years old. And you had very little English, uh, you know, in your, in your, did you have any education at all in English or did you just arrive That's and, right. and, and hope, had- hope for the best? I had taken a few private English lessons in Cuba by native country in the few years before I moved to the U.S. Uh, so I could understand, you know, a, a lot of the content when I would read material, for example. But I had trouble expressing myself, especially at an academic level. And so I was placed in the ESOL program in English for speakers of other languages when I enrolled in school initially. Got it. And was that in Miami? This was in South Florida. I started in a school in um, West Palm Beach, and then I moved to Miami towards the second half of my of my freshman year. So yeah, I can. And what I did your, high school in Miami? So so some folks on the line could relate to this. What, what what brought your family to the United States? How did that all work out? Well, it was actually <clears throat> our main motivation was to have greater academic and professional opportunities. Uh, you know, my parents are you know, an engineer and a doctor, and they were very determined 
to certify their their degrees in the U.S. Uh, they knew it would be a very long and difficult journey. Uh, it took my mother over 10 years to become a doctor in the U.S., mm. but it was really their sacrifice and their perseverance that motivated my sister and me to focus towards, you know, our college goals. Um, we never expected that, you know, I could end up studying at Harvard, and my sister is now a senior at Stanford. But it was Wonderful. really, a team, you know, a team effort throughout, all throughout. Now, your parents were, were obviously an influence on, on your own uh, development and uh, I'm sure were very strict with you regarding your devotion and dedication to, to academics. Would you agree with that, and how did that influence your, your own development? No, actually, they, they, have, they were not strict um, at all. Um, you know, I, I laugh now with, with my mother when I remember, uh, you know, some mornings when it would be raining, and she would tell me, it's such a great day to sleep in. You know, you can go to school later. Uh, she was the kind of parent who was much more concerned. My, my parent also, my dad, my father also, they were much more concerned about our well-being, our balance in our school and our personal lives. But because they were so determined to accomplish their professional goals, and we would see them, you know, focusing on their own, you know, English learning or their own ex- certification exams uh, after working so many hours. And my dad, you know, when we first got to the U.S., he was even working two and three, three jobs at the same time that mm-hmm. he was pretty much expected of my sister and me to have the same kind of devotion towards her own goals. So it was, uh, instead of being strict, I think the, the example really they gave us was our main motivation to try our hardest at the same time. Let's ask you a little bit about the perspective. You obviously attended Harvard, um, and, and, and and by the way, congratulations to you. That's that's quite a quite a feat to not only get in but to graduate. I'm sure. So so hats off uh, to you there. Uh, but let's let's look at the perspective of schools for a second. Why are schools so interested in seeking uh, bright students, and particularly Ivy League schools, and bringing them into uh, the, the melting pot of, of of classes and trying to make sure that they're they're doing a good job and, and balance their portfolio of smart, bright students. What's the motivation, in your opinion? Well, there are many sides to that. On the one hand, universities are really, you know, a vehicle for prosperity in society in general. So it's really part of their main mission as uh, these kinds of institutions to try to level the playing field, to really give students, no matter their background, the, the opportunity to succeed and to strengthen, you know, the middle class. I, I really believe that. But on the other hand, they're also uh, much more concerned, I think, right now, you know, about preparing students for a very different kind of workforce, a workforce in which you are very likely to be working, um, you know, as part of the same team with people who come from very different backgrounds, ethnicities, nationalities, uh, you know, life experiences. And it's very important that during your formative years in university, you are exposed to the very different perspectives that will become part of your daily life, um, you know, as an employee and as a citizen once you graduate. When I was at Harvard, for example, my roommates were, you know, from Alabama, from Portugal, from Hungary, California. We all had very different backgrounds. And that was, I would argue, you know, an even more enriching experience for me than even, you know, classroom time with my professors. So this diverse background is an essential component of the learning experience at any university. And I think a lot of the students undervalue the riches that they can bring, you know, as as students from very from backgrounds that are not traditionally seen as you know the required experiences for these kinds of elite, still pretty much elite institutions. Mm-hmm. 
Now, I noticed that you, you have a master's degree in international relations from the London School of Economics. Uh, congratulations on that as well. I am actually a graduate of LSE myself. Um, <laughs> now, of course, for me, LSE stands for Let's Ski Europe, um, <laughs> or Let's See Europe is another way to look at it. Um, did you have a chance to travel much and, and get to know London? And, and how did you go about uh, both applying to and getting in LSE? Definitely. Actually, uh, on my first day at LSC, during our welcome lecture, we were told, you know, LSC is great, studying is great, but focus first on exploring Europe and having fun. It's only going to happen once in your life. And so <laughs> I took that advice very seriously, and I actually joined um, a travel club through a wonderful student residence where I was living in London, uh, the International Students' House, and I was able to travel uh, to over 50 different cities during my time in Europe. Um, wow. It was one of the best years of my life, but... Um, I knew I wanted to complement my experience as an undergraduate in the U.S. with you know, broader exposure uh, in Europe, have the opportunity to live in another continent. I knew I eventually would return to the U.S., um, but I wanted to give myself the chance to explore another kind of academic setting, um, attend school with very different classmates, uh, and really... Uh, learn about a different kind of lifestyle and write a mentality in, in Europe. So I submitted applications to a few universities in the UK, all masters in international relations. When I was a senior in college, mm-hmm. my professors at Harvard were very supportive. They wrote letters of recommendation on my behalf. They provided guidance on the content of my personal statement. And because the masters were, was related to my undergraduate concentration in, in history and Latin American studies, then uh, really LSC was a, was a very good fit, and I was able to get a partial scholarship to attend, plus uh, some student loans from the federal government. Terrific. Good for you. And how about, you know, tell us a little bit about student loans and, and how loans are working these days, particularly as you've, if you've written the book and, and can have well-documented strategies and tactics. What's up with, with loans? And, and by the way, I'll footnote this by saying there's, you know, there's potentially the next crisis that we might see, uh, you know, uh, on, on, a, on a national basis here in the United States and hopefully not talk, tank the stock market. But a lot of people think that there is a tremendous amount of debt out there uh, with regards to, to student loans. And that is putting our country at, at, at risk uh, with, with so much loans. What's up with the State of the Union's and loans from your perspective? Well, you know, one of the greatest benefits of selective um, universities at the undergraduate level, which many students and parents don't realize, uh-huh. is that a lot of the financial aid is grant and scholarship based. So it's money that you don't have to repay. Mm-hmm. A lot of even the top universities have a no loans policy. Uh-huh. So it means that the majority of the students graduate with virtually uh, no debt from these schools, especially if you are a student who qualifies as um, as low income, for example, if your family has a combined income of less than you know sixty thousand uh, dollars per year, but even you know, up to one hundred twenty thousand um, per year. But uh, right now there are you know loans, especially from the federal government, at much more favorable rates than you know even when I was um, a student, and uh, even um, students, when they, even recent graduates. Um, have a lot of options to to refinance. I don't think a lot of graduates realize this, and because we are at the beginning of our careers, we also have uh, plans to perhaps you know purchase our first home, for example. Uh, we don't turn uh, to to these opportunities, but I was uh, that was one of my priorities uh, once I had a few years of work experience under my belt to refinance my student loans, and um, I was able to have much more favorable. Um, interest rates. So I am actually 
me on a good track to to pay off my loans in just a, a couple more years. Uh, but these are really graduate school loans. I have virtually no loans from my undergraduate um, degree, and that's the reality for most of the students from low-income or backgrounds or even you know middle-class backgrounds who attend selective universities with very generous financial aid policies. Loans should really not be a concern. Uh-huh. What are what are colleges looking for as they review candidates and students these days, and and how 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 can you help that process and offer advice to students on what they should be doing these days, not only as they apply but as they perform academically to earn their way up into a position to uh, to uh, to apply and have it be received well. There is a myth that a student uh, who wants to become a strong candidate for the top universities, undergraduate programs in the country, has to have perfect grades, perfect you know, SAT or ACT scores, uh, and the most exotic extracurricular activities. But that's not the case um, at all. Universities are looking for a mix of strong academic and extracurricular credentials, but also personal qualities. So the, the evaluation process is not a process of elimination, in which, for example, if you don't meet you know, certain minimum requirements, like a minimum SAT score, a minimum GPA, you will be automatically you know, eliminated. Admissions officers take into account your entire life story through your personal statement, your curriculum, the letters of recommendation that your teachers submit, the classes you have taken, and they try to form a balanced view of how you've accomplished, how you've managed to take advantage of the resources available to you given your very unique circumstances. That's why it's always very important to try to reflect those circumstances as accurately um, as possible. Some students, for example, they don't think it's worthwhile to mention that they had uh, to take care of older siblings or the elderly in their homes or to work you know, part-time or even full-time while they were in high school, but this gives very strong content context to universities uh, to value even more, you know, other academic and extracurricular accomplishments. If the student didn't have a car, didn't have the resources to, to participate in expensive summer programs or stay after school for, you know, to participate in extracurriculars, the universities will understand that and, and will really value any effort. The, the most important um, factors to to take into account as you prepare for the university is first and foremost they are institutions of learning so they expect you to be prepared to do um, work at a, at a rigorous level so you have to have demonstrated um, academic success especially in the main academic areas like language arts social sciences the natural sciences and mathematics um, as many A's and B's as possible and staying within the top 10% of your graduating class. Uh, the more advanced classes you take, the better, honors, AP, and IB. Uh, but aside from this, uh, what they're looking for is what you can uniquely contribute to the university system. It can be your passion for a certain um, a certain activity or a certain community um, or your vision to solve a special kind of problem but leadership and ambition can be shown in, in, in numerous ways. Uh, it could be your role as a member of your family. It can be your role in, in your religious community, uh, even your role in a specific class. Uh, but 
um, students often neglect, you know, some of the experiences that make them outstanding candidates because they don't think that they are worthwhile. So it's very important to uh, to speak with uh, with teachers and um, and families. Um, and really try to uncover what makes us uh, special and look at our in our, in our, envir- in our immediate environment, see how is this environment special, what kinds of experiences from my community am I bringing to an elite university that might be underrepresented. Um, and, and I talk a lot about that in, in my book, how to find you know, our special qualities even when we think we might not have uh, you know, what it takes to, to be considered competitive for, for these institutions. Let's take a quick break. Back in a minute, everybody. Life Tips will be right back after this short break. Is your website hacked? Is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly? Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites, like cars, require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded. At Fjord, our website maintenance experts can help you assess which one of our maintenance plans will best support your needs. Visit FjordDigital.com or call 612-877-3840 and get the support and protection your website and business deserve. That's F-J-O-R-G-E Digital.com. Literature is taking over Miami streets. Between November 13th and the 20th, downtown Miami will transform into a full-week celebration of the literary arts. More than 500-plus authors are coming to share their new work at the 2016 Miami Book Fair. The Porch is open every evening, complete with a full schedule of live music and performances, a farmer's market and cafe, food trucks, craft beer, and more. For more information on the 33rd Miami Book Fair, November 13th to the 20th at Miami-Dade College's Wolfson Campus in downtown Miami, call 305-237-3258 or visit MiamiBookFair.com. Follow Miami Book Fair on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Miami Book Fair. More refreshing talk radio on air and on demand 24-7. Only on Cranberry Radio. And now back to Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, and wiser. Here are your hosts. Welcome back. Great to have you on the show today. Tell us a little bit about the the actual application process itself. Do do you feel like that stories should be told and and, and, and hardships should be focused on or the, the dream should be painted? I mean, every application process is different. But when you yourself applied to Harvard, how did you make the case for yourself? How did they discover who you are and how you think and how you've approached the world and your commitment to to want to you know join join, join uh, to make the world a better place? Shall we say? <laughs> um, I, I think the key is to make the application as personal as possible. If there are any parts of application that don't sound like us, uh, any parts of the application that could have been written uh, by by somebody else, then we know we have to dig deeper into our experiences. In my case, for example, I focused uh, my my main essay, my personal statement on the lessons of perseverance and determination and hard work I had acquired from my family, from my parents 
in particular as they were navigating you know, their new life in the U.S., in my role within my family to help, um, to help us as a team right, achieve our, our collective goals. So I gave very uh, detailed images of our life as a family in South Florida and what was important to us and how that uh, experience had inspired me to um, work towards my own education goals and, and help other students like me, especially recent immigrants, in the Hispanic community, um, achieve their college dreams. And I also looked for teachers who knew me be, be just beyond you know, my academic performance in their classes. A lot of students focus on getting recommendation letters from teachers with you know, various in academic or, or like social recognitions who've won awards or who have some role in the administration. But what really matters is that they know you well, not only how well you've done in class, uh, all the hard work that you've put into your studies, but also how you relate with your peers, what kinds of struggles you might be facing at home or, or which kinds of challenges you might have overcome to, to reach you know, your, your particular goals. What are your values? What kinds of uh, new perspectives you can bring to the university? Those um, letters that are rich um, in, in anecdotes are very, very powerful. Even if you, um, if the teacher who wrote them, you know, you didn't didn't give you an A in the class. It's much better to pick a teacher who gave you, you know, a B, for example, who can speak to to you as as, a, as an individual in general, than to pick a teacher who gave you an A but can only talk about. Uh, you know your academic performance, which is already seen uh, partly in your in your transcripts. Um, something um, also that's very important about the application process is to find expert guidance and role models. And I, in my book, I talk about a number of ways to achieve this because many times we feel like we are alone in the process. Most of the college counselors at the high schools, they have uh, an excessive caseload. They are trying to help over a 1,000 students. That was the case in my school. So I was very lucky that a counselor from another school who was a star seeker and sort of became my, my very good mother, she believed in me and she helped me figure out, you know, how many schools I needed to apply to and which schools, you know, she composed a list to give me, you know, a good probability of admission and whether I should submit, you know, my SAT or ACT scores and when to take these exams. I also had the help of an older student uh, who had attended Harvard and who was a family friend. So these are the figures that I call essential for college guidance, the role model and the expert. But many students don't know how they can find these, uh, these figures. So in the book, I explain how these figures can be accessible through the universities themselves. The admissions offices many times have, um, you know, employ students at the university who can provide a lot of mentorship. The admissions officers are available to answer personal questions via email. There are national college access programs that give support throughout high school with the college preparation and application processes. And these are all essential tools to become a competitive candidate and to craft a strategic application. Uh, it's many times we don't, we don't, once again, we might undervalue the merit of particular aspects of the, of the application of our individual experience. And these um, individuals with experience in the process can let us know, actually, it's very important that you mention, you know, this part-time job you had. You know, even if you think it was babysitting, you did a you know, tremendous job. And it was, uh, it was wonderful that you managed to balance, you know, very demanding academics with an almost full-time job. 
um, while you were taking care of your family, you know, while you were being responsible uh, and contributing to the family finances. What programs, Maria, did did Harvard have or do universities have in general to help you within the university once you get there? Was that an important part of your own growth and development and what could students expect as they as they apply? I think this is one of the great assets of um, top institutions uh, with many resources to help students develop themselves beyond their academics. Uh, at Harvard, for example, there were many student organizations, uh, hundreds of them. Uh, you could even start your own. So there was a, a pool of you know, support groups available that would cater to very specific extracurricular interests or even you know, your ethnicity. I was part of, for example, of the Cuban Students Club uh, at Harvard, and it was great to have a you know, nourishing uh, group who shared my culture and which made me feel like I was closer to home. But I also was able to join other you know, pre-professional groups like the International Debate or Management Consulting. But aside from the student groups, I was always trying to find um, resources to help me, you know, integrally, especially, you know, with my studies. So I would always be the first at office hours um, held by, by professors and the relationships that I formed with, uh, with some of my professors given, you know, these um, this proximity were very valuable. They became my mentors. They helped me find internships. They would invite us for coffee or organize reunions um, at their at their homes. So it became, you know, the university became uh, much more of a community where you felt like you belonged and and you had you know much more experienced professionals who truly cared about you. And, and helped you find your way. I, I always had the support of the writing center as well if I wanted um, a writing tutor to help me um, go over my essays. Uh, and there were counselors also who, who could help students with a variety of issues like managing your time more wisely or speed reading uh, or just really offer you know, emotional support in times of, um, of stress. Uh, but even for, for high school students, as they're approaching the application process, they can find a lot of support at the university. So during my time at Harvard, I was actually a student recruiter for the undergraduate minority recruitment program. And my job, which really inspired me to devote my future career to um, higher education access, was to guide families, parents, prospective students, even teachers and counselors, especially uh, from Latino communities, on the path to selective institutions like Harvard. So I would organize overnight visits for students, tours around campus, information sessions. I would even travel during my spring breaks to different parts of the country to deliver, to deliver presentations at different schools. And this would really put a face to, to the admissions committee. Uh, I you know, was hoping always that students would find a personal connection, would identify with my personal story, and that would make the process you know, less intimidating, would demystify a lot of you know, the, the things that become barriers when we, when we dream of the schools that seem so inaccessible. Well, your personal story is, is inspirational. Your, your book and commitment to helping students is fantastic. Two final questions for you. The book, of course, of course is Achieve the College Dream. Um, how can people uh, find you on the web, and who would you like to hear from? 
Um, thank, thank you for allowing me the opportunity to talk, you know, a little bit more about, about my book and um, allowing uh, others to to access it. I'm actually excited to to be launching it officially uh, in Miami tonight at books, the Library Books and Books in Coral Gables um, at 8 p.m. For those who might be able to join me, otherwise, there's also a live stream. Um, uh, link on the page uh, at Books and Books that they could follow. But students who would like, or other readers, uh, really, my book is is a valuable tool, tool for students in middle school and high school, but also counselors, teachers, uh, parents, community organizations. They can find it um, on Amazon uh, through Roman and Littlefield, roman.com, that's my publisher's website, uh, Books and Books, and actually the Harvard Bookstore um, as well. And it will also be available at certain libraries um, throughout the country, but it's available for purchase online um, already. Where is the uh, website? Yeah. The website, my personal website, where you can also find more information about my work and where I publish regular posts with advice on on the the path to college and also graduate school is mcchiquen.com, as in Maria Carla Chiquen. That's my full name. Um, and you can also visit my book's official website through my publishers, roman.com. Terrific. Maria, it's just been great having you on today. I want to thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure talking to you and sharing more, you know, my experiences with, with uh, our listeners. Great story packed with inspiration. Jam out those applications, guys. That's the bottom line. Let's let's uh, get this get this get this momentum going. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. I really enjoyed this uh, this uh, show today. See you next week.
The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cranberry News Marketing and Cranberry.fm. Rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited.